I was, was reminded recently about our need for other people, that, that there are times when you feel needy and you just need somebody else uh, in your life, somebody that sees you, somebody that knows what's going on, somebody that, that cares. Have you had that happen? Or you just felt like you were in need and you just wanted that somebody else was seeing and caring? I, I was sick recently and had family members who were uh, checking in on me regularly. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need any water? Do you need, any, like, do you need anybody to sit and talk with you? Do you need any encouragement? And, and that stomach bug went through the house and my sister-in-law heard about it and came over with a care package. And she brought, you know, crackers and soup and flowers and just, I see and I know and I want you to know you are loved. And I, I just was so appreciative of that because we need that kind of, of love when we're in need, Right? And sometimes it's, it's something simple and short like a stomach bug, and sometimes it's, it's something much bigger. And we just want that somebody notices and somebody cares. Well, this morning we are opening the scriptures and we're going to see how Jesus responds when he sees needs. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be starting in verse 35. So Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus has been going around doing a variety of healings and things, and this is uh, where it picks up now in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus has been healing people. Matthew has been clear, wanting just to see that just one thing after another, after another, after another, right? He, he, he healed uh, some people who were demon-oppressed, and he healed a paralytic, and he healed some blind people, and it was just like this person, and this person, and this person, and Matthew gives us these really quick stories, these really quick snapshots of these healings in quick succession with specifics, right? This person was healed, and that person was healed, and was trying to give us a scope of the kinds of things that Jesus was healing, whether it was blindness or raising a girl from the dead or a, a woman who had been dealing with menstrual issues for a long time or somebody who was paralyzed or demon-oppressed and mute. Jesus could heal all of these different things. And then now, having hit all of those specific stories, Matthew just says, and then Jesus went out everywhere. Jesus went out throughout all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. There was no place that Jesus didn't do ministry. He went throughout all the cities and the villages. All the big towns and the little ones. He, he went everywhere and was proclaiming the same things over and over again. He was teaching in their synagogues and, and walking them through the scriptures and helping them to understand who God is. He was teaching. He was proclaiming 
the gospel of the kingdom. That is the good news of the kingdom. Now, they'd been waiting for a long time, right? If you know the, the history of the Old Testament, of the, the nation of Israel, uh, God had promised them a land and, and a kingdom and a king over them, and, and it seemed like King David was that king that had been, that had been prophesied and that uh, that was the fulfillment, and that was kind of the glory days. And it lasted for like two generations. The glory days lasted for two generations. And then no more. Because people started to infight with one another. The kingdom was divided. They started worshiping other gods. And God had told them, promised them ahead of time. Look, if you turn away from me, you will not be able to stay in my land anymore. If, if you turn away from me and serve other gods, I will kick you out of my land. But then if you repent and return to me, I will bring you back. And so you see that actually happen in the history of Israel throughout the Old Testament. If you're watching what's happening, you see that they are given this land, they go in, they conquer the land, they, they have this great place, and then sure enough, they do turn away from God, and, and then other armies come in, and they get conquered, and they get dragged off into captivity somewhere. And then the prophets are telling people, look, you have to repent. You have to repent of your sin. Turn back to God, trust God, and he will bring the kingdom back. He's going to renew the kingdom. He's going to bring the kingdom again. And so the people of Israel were waiting for that. They were living in a place that was in the land, but not in the kingdom that they were expecting it to be. Right? This wasn't God's kingdom. This was a Roman empire having control over this land. And they were going, when is it going to be restored? When is God going to come and restore us? And they were praying and repenting and, and saying, please, God, can you bring it back? And now Jesus is going throughout all of the cities and all of the towns and all of the villages and he's teaching them about God and he's proclaiming the things that he's been pro proclaiming through all of Matthew, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is now here. And so he's proclaiming this good news, this gospel, and he's telling them, look, you have been long awaiting the kingdom to come, and the kingdom is now here. The kingdom is now here. The things that you have been waiting for have arrived. I am here to tell you the good news. The kingdom is now. It's now. So he goes around and he's teaching them, he's correcting the misunderstandings and misconceptions that they have about who God is and how he relates to his people, and then he's proclaiming to them the good news that the kingdom of heaven is now here, and then he is, um, in some ways, bringing that kingdom to reality by healing every disease and every affliction. Every kind of thing that people were dealing with. And Matthew has given us all kinds of examples of the sorts of things that Jesus was doing. And we know he could do whatever. We saw him do all of the things that have never been done before. Right? Every time he would do something, the people would go, Wow, we have never seen that done before. Wow. A mute man spoke. Wow, the demons have been cast out. Wow, a paralytic walked. Wow, a blind man saw. Wow, we have never seen anything like this before. 
And now he's just going and doing that everywhere. He's bringing it to everybody. He wants everyone to know the kingdom of heaven is here and he is doing a kind of healing work that has never been seen before. Now, why did he do this? Why did he do this? Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. As he was going along, he saw the crowds of people, right? He's going to every city, every village, every town. He's seen all these people, and the crowds of people are coming to him, and he has compassion on them. Because he sees them, and he sees how much need there is. It says, because they were harassed and helpless. They couldn't take care of themselves. They were helpless. They couldn't take care of their own needs. They had things that they, it was beyond their control to repair it, to fix it. And not only were there things that they had that they were dealing with that they couldn't control, but also they were being harassed. Other people were doing things to them. Other people were doing things to them and that there was nothing that they could do about it because they were helpless, powerless over even their own issues, and then these other people are are doing things to them, and there's nothing they could do. And so Jesus sees them, and he sees them, and he sees them like sheep that don't have a shepherd, and he has compassion on them. And he goes, oh, you need help. Now, I was talking with the other pastors as we were preparing for this message, and we were talking about the helplessness of sheep, and one of them said something about, yeah, like sheep even get stuck upside down. I'm sorry, you're making that up. No, 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 I read that in multiple commentaries. Some preacher made that up a long time ago. I know this. I've heard this kind of story before. Some preacher made this up a long time ago, and now every preacher tells this story about how sheep get stuck upside down. So I looked it up. (laughs) Sheep are top-heavy especially when their wool is wet or they are overweight or pregnant. If they lie down or fall over, they can get stuck on their backs, making them vulnerable to predators such as crows. (laughs) For real? Sheep are pathetic. I read that, and I laughed out loud. Crows? That was not the predator I was expecting to have come up. It turns out that a sheep can get flipped onto its back and be stuck upside down and will suffocate upside down because the gases in their stomach as they're uh, digesting the grass and stuff can't escape when they're upside down, and so they end up suffocating. So please, if you ever are walking along and see a sheep upside down, for the sake of the sheep and the shepherd, flip the sheep over. (laughs) 
Because sheep are helpless. Sheep are helpless. They cannot care for themselves. They need somebody who is caring for them. In fact, this is not the first time that we've heard this kind of thing talked about people like sheep. God has talked about this before. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34, God is talking about his people as helpless and harassed sheep. And what he's doing is he's talking to the leaders of Israel at that time, and he's telling them, look, you're supposed to be the shepherds. You're supposed to be taking care of the sheep. And you're not. You, as the religious leaders, as my uh, go-between, were supposed to be taking care of my sheep, and instead, you're taking advantage of them. I'm going to read through a fairly large section of Ezekiel 34, and I want you to listen. A couple of the verses are going to come up on the screen so that you can highlight those. But I just want you to listen as the word of the Lord comes through Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Oh, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth and none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the sheep have fed themselves and have not, but they have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15. 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. And I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself, I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with the side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, I know that's a long section to read, but hopefully you were able to track with me and to hear God's love for his people. His indignance at how these people who should have been shepherds instead were just taking advantage of the others for their own gain. His love for his sheep and saying, look, I, I see the way that you are, are taking advantage of one another and you who are, are, are fat and big are knocking the little weak ones out of the way so that you can eat and drink the good grass. And it's not enough that you just ate and drank the good, good things, but you trampled all of the other stuff and ruined it so that it couldn't be eaten by others. You are just totally self-focused. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to be the shepherd of my own sheep. I am going to come. All of the sheep that have been scattered, all of the sheep that are helpless, all of the sheep that are struggling, all of the sheep who have been taken advantage of and attacked by wild beasts, I am going to come and I am going to comfort them all. And I'm going to bring them all back into my fold. And I'm going to watch over them. And I'm going to bind them up. And I'm going to take care of all the injustices. And I'm going to feed them. And I'm going to bathe them. And I'm going to watch over them. Because I will be their shepherd. Now he says that early in the chapter. And then later in the chapter he says, And I will set up for them one shepherd, my servant David and he shall feed them. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. Now, how is that going to work? How is God going to be their shepherd and also send someone, some David, to be their shepherd? David, the shepherd king. Right? The, the, the boy who used to take care of the sheep and protect them from the wild animals who then became king over Israel, that shepherd king? What kind of a shepherd king is going to come next? How will this be fulfilled that both David the shepherd king and the Lord will be the shepherd of his people? 
through the person of Jesus. God himself became a man so that he could come and be that shepherd king. So when Jesus is coming from town to town, city to city, village to village, and he is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, he himself has come to be the shepherd king. And so the very things that, that God said that he would do, where he says uh, in verse 16 of Ezekiel, or, or verse 15 maybe, I'm, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Jesus is doing that very thing from town to town. Because he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. He sees them, he sees their brokenness, he sees their hurts, he sees their oppression, he sees their affliction, he sees the things that they have done to themselves, how they flip themselves onto their backs and can't roll over. He's seen the way that people are taking advantage of them. And he has compassion on them. And so from town to town, he proclaims the good news of the kingdom. And he heals every disease and affliction. When we are in need, Jesus still has that same compassion for us. That's what we were singing in that song right before I got up here to, to preach, right? Come ye sinners, poor and needy. If you were listening through there, all of the different things that we are dealing with that we need to come to Jesus with, and how he himself laid flat on the ground praying before he went to the cross. And then died on the cross. And isn't that enough for us? Isn't that sufficient for covering our needs? And yet even beyond that is now ascended and sitting at the right hand of God the Father on high, interceding on behalf of us, because of his own blood that he shed for us. Oh, my Father, have compassion on them, for they are in great need. He welcomes us with open arms and says, Come to me. Come to me, you who are weak. Come to me, you who are afflicted. Come to me, you who are struggling. Come to me and find comfort and help in your hour of need. You see, there are times when we are struggling through something and we feel so needy and we just want that somebody else would notice, that somebody else would care. Sometimes we want them to fix it and other times we just want them to know and be there and come alongside us and put their arm around us. Because in that moment of need and helplessness, we can feel very alone. But we are never alone. Because Jesus is there with us. And when you're feeling that need, and when you're feeling in that place of loneliness, he says, come to me. 
come to me and come to my embrace. I know. I see. And I love you. And he said to his disciples in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you see all of this need? There is plenty of need. Plenty. Many, many, many people need to have the good news of the kingdom proclaimed to them. There is plenty. The harvest is plentiful. He changes the, the imagery a little bit. So now it's not just this going and gathering sheep from all the corners of the world to which they have been scattered and bringing them back into the fold. But he's talking about a harvest, like, like when you go out and it's time to pick the berries and you get the harvest, or it's time to, to cut the wheat and you get the harvest, or you go out and you collect the apples off the tree or the vegetables from the garden. It's time to collect the harvest. And he says, there's plenty there. There's plenty there. but not so much the people to go out and get it. He is inviting his disciples in to his ministry. He has up to this point been doing the ministry and proclaiming and teaching and explaining, and the disciples had so many questions, they don't get it. They're asking so many questions. So is this parable about us or about somebody else or what's going on here? And Jesus teaches them. And then Jesus proclaims, here's the good news. The good news is all of this promised restoration that God has come here through me. And here's the evidence. And he does the healings and the restorations. And he's about to send his disciples out to take part in his ministry. He's going, look, guys, you've now been with me for a while, and I've been teaching you, and I've been showing you, and I want you to see with me what I'm seeing. Because I'm going from town to town to town to town to town to town, and I'm seeing crowd after crowd after crowd after crowd, and I'm seeing needs. Get ready, guys. There's plenty of work to do and not many people to do it. Get ready. Here we go. You see, I, I think that like Jesus, his followers, the people who have come alongside him and been comforted by him are now being released to his ministry to teach and help explain misconceptions that people have about who God is. Misconceptions or, or wrong ideas about what his word says. That we're sent out to do that kind of teaching. That's what his disciples, his followers are sent out to do. 
We're sent out to proclaim the hope that, that we have in Jesus, the hope that other people need. We're sent out to, to proclaim that. And we can't heal every disease and every affliction, but we can walk alongside those who are hurting and bring them to the one who can. Can I pray with you? Can I pray with you? Because I have a God who can carry you through this difficult time. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Okay, when we are in need, we go to God and we find comfort in Jesus. And so when we see other people who need comfort, we can offer them comfort. Not our own, but the same comfort that we received from Jesus. Hey, you know what? I have a hopeful thing. That is, I have been comforted by Jesus. You know what I can offer you while you're in your need? The comfort of Jesus. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. If we thought that we were going to get through life and it was going to be comfortable, we were wrong. Nobody has a comfortable life. People strive for it. They would like it. But nobody has a comfortable life. What we have as Christians is a comforted life. That is, that when we walk through sufferings and when we deal with afflictions, we are comforted by God in those sufferings. It's not a comfortable life as a Christian. Anybody who stands up and tells you that God says they, that he wants you to live a comfortable life is lying to you. The scriptures do not say that God wants you to, li to live a comfortable life, but very much a comforted life. That when you walk through things that are difficult, that he is with you. Arms open wide, big embrace. He will carry you through. And when Jesus sees the need, he says, Guys, get ready, you gotta go. Because there's a whole bunch of need out there. And the same kinds of instruction I have given to you, you should give to them. The same kinds of teaching I have given to you, you should give to them. The same kinds of hope I have given to you in proclaiming the, the goodness of the kingdom, you should give to them. And the same kinds of comfort, you should give to them. I'm sending you out. 
here we go. Those who walk with Jesus and find comfort with him are expected that they are going to be offering that same thing to other people. Now, here's the problem with that. I get overwhelmed. Jesus looked out at all of the crowds and saw all of the need and said, guys, there's lots to do and few to do it. I'm overwhelmed with me. I get overwhelmed with my own life. Every once in a while, I'm able to lift my head up from my own needs enough that I can see the needs of somebody else. And I try to help one other person. And I go, oh, I can't do it. It is overwhelming to me to be able to help one other person. And heaven forbid that I should look around and see crowds. Do you know what happens when I look around and start seeing crowds of need? I flood. You heard that term before, flooding? That is that you're just completely overwhelmed and shut down. Like a, like a car that flooded, right? You tried to, to turn it on and the, the engine flooded and there's just too much gas all poured in there all at once and so it can't go. That's what happens to me. I start looking around at all the need and I just lock up. It is completely overwhelming to see all of the needs out there. And so what I do, here's my coping mechanism. I'm not recommending it. I'm just telling you what I do. I find that if I ignore it and I just focus on me and my needs, then those other needs don't bother me so much. I almost feel like I can function like a person. Do you know what that makes me? According to Ezekiel chapter 34, one of the selfish sheep, one of the fat ones that's elbowing the other sheep out of the way and trampling all the grass. Oh, this is my grass. This is my water. And I muddy it for everybody else. Here's what Jesus says we should do. Verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Ah... This might be a better coping mechanism. Because you know what happens in my brain is I look out and I start seeing the needs in one other person and then two other people and then crowds of people and I get overwhelmed because I can't do anything about it. And God goes, I wasn't expecting you to do anything about it. What, what did I ask you to do? I asked you to proclaim the hope that you have in Jesus. Give them the comfort with which you have been comforted. That's not hard. I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm asking you to tell them about the one who can. Oh. I don't have to fix it? 
You see, somehow I think that as Christians, we start looking around and going, well, we should fix all of these things. And in fact, the church through history has done a lot of really good things. Most of the hospitals that are around are because churches put those in place. Most of the homeless ministries that are around are because churches and Christians have put those in place. Addiction, recovery, Christians. Like, helps kinds of ministries, churches and Christians are doing that work. We get a bad rap sometimes for not caring about other people and being self-focused, but the reality is that Christians throughout history have done this kind of compassion work. They've been carrying out the compassionate work of Jesus, and there is much, much, much more that can and needs to be done. And so we got to get up our eyes up off of our own needs so that we can see it and go, ah, that's too much, and pray. And just pray. If we're not praying that God would send more people out to do the work, we're not seeing how much work there is to be done. Because if we were seeing how much work there is to be done, we would be praying hard for help. Praying hard for help. And then do you know what happens? God sends more people out. I, I sometimes am afraid to pray this prayer because I'm afraid he's going to send me. And I just want to be like, God, can you send somebody else? God, we're going to need a lot of helpers down here because nobody's doing anything. Don't send me, though, God. He's going to send me. And he's going to send you because there's nothing special about me. But that's okay. Because he's going to comfort you through the process. He's going to do the work. He's not asking you to fix it. He's just asking you to get involved, proclaim the good news about Jesus, and pray for help. And one of my favorite things is when I see a need and I start to get overwhelmed, right? I told you that when my eyes come up, I can see one other person and their need and I get overwhelmed by their need. And my favorite thing is when I look around and go, oh, somebody else in the church saw that same need, and they're helping too. Hey, that guy too, and this life group member. The church is doing it together. Because we've all been given the same call by God to go out and continue the work of Jesus, to teach and help explain the differences in between the misconceptions that people have about who God is and who he really is, to proclaim to them the hope that we have in Jesus and to comfort them in their afflictions. We all have been given that ministry 
And I don't want anybody here this morning feeling, oh, yeah, yeah, preacher, this is why I don't like coming to church, because the preacher's going to tell me all these things that I'm supposed to be doing, and I can hardly handle my own life. That's not the response we're looking for. This is not be better, do better, try harder. This is, we got to run to Jesus. Every time that we have need, every time that we are struggling, we run to Jesus and we receive his comfort. Even when we're trying to help other people. Let's pray. Lord God, I come before you this morning on, the, on behalf of those right here. Those who right here in this room have need. Lord, some of them are hurting today. Some of them don't have enough today. And you know. You have already seen the need. You already know what you're going to do about it. And so I pray that they would cry out to you in their hour of need. And that you would comfort them and provide for them. And then, Lord, I pray, as we look around and we see family members and church members and community members and neighbors and coworkers who all have need as well, that you would help us to be quick to pray quick to proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus and quick to beg you for help. Lord, may we never be the only ones. In any situation, Lord, I pray, may we never be the only ones who are serving. But would you send more laborers? And Father, we ask that you would start with us here this morning, that we, like Jesus, would be aware of the needs around us, that we might offer the comfort with which we have been comforted ourselves. And we ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.